aren't you grateful that we get to be a part uh, of something that God is doing the size of what he's doing here? I I thank the Lord that he lets me and my family participate in in generosity, which he calls all of us to, but I'm so grateful that he lets me do it in a place where I get to see with these eyes life change. And I, I hope you're grateful too. I want to thank you for praying uh, for me this last week while I was at uh, Washtenaw Baptist University for the chapel service. Uh, God did some God things on that campus, and a service that was supposed to let out at 10:45 a.m. was still going at midnight. And He's doing some crazy things. And in fact, at campuses all over the country. He, he's doing great things. In fact, it's spreading to uh, other countries. And, and, uh, and thinking about and praying about revival, I, my mind went to Nehemiah uh, this week. You know, when they built the wall, a revival happened. And uh, I think it's chapter 8 and, and, and verse 5. And, you know, Ezra and Nehemiah, they, they overlap. Ezra was appointed by Nehemiah as the priest. And, and when Ezra in chapter 8 stood up to read the word of God, it said all the people stood. One of the telltale signs that we're entering into revival is when people are hungry for the word of God. And they're hungry to hear from the word of God. And that's coupled with the desire to obey before they even know what God is going to say. That's such an invitation to a move of the Holy Spirit. And so I I just want to ask you, if you would, like we did last week, would you just bow your heart before the Lord? And if you're able, just get on your knees. And at every campus, if you're not, just stay seated and bow your heart before the Lord. But let's just change our posture for a moment to say, Heavenly Father, we, we need you. We need more of you. And we need your power. We need your authority. And we ask that you would come and do what only you can do. And we bow before you and we surrender before you, King Jesus. And We ask that you would come with freedom and power and you would move in and among all of our campuses, among all of our areas, and from babies all the way to the senior adults and everywhere in between, that that you would have your way. And as we open your word, let it come alive and let it not just be black ink on white pages, but let it be the living word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword, that's able to divide between the soul and, and the spirit. And so, Father, we pray today that you would feed our spirits. It would affect our souls and our bodies. We bow before you, and if you're doing something fresh in this land, please don't skip over us. We want to be a part of what you're doing in this day. So we bow before you, and we bow before the authority of your word today. May it change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen and amen. Uh, Today we're ending our series on margin. Next week I'm beginning a brand new series, which I think is incredibly relevant uh, to the day that we're living in. I'm calling the series In Jesus' Name. 
And we're going to talk about four or five things that are ours in the name of Jesus Christ, according to the New Testament. And, and, and so you don't want to miss uh, this series we're going to start next week. But today, uh, what we're asking the Holy Spirit to do is to help us tie a bow on, on this subject called margin. Let, let me remind you how we're defining margin. We're, we're defining it as the amount available beyond uh, what, what is really needed, that, that it's the amount left over uh, after we've spent our time and our money and our energy and our emotions. And, and in fact, margin is the opposite of being spent. It's the space we give life, quite honestly, that gives us freedom. And, and living with margin in every area of our lives, in our time, in our finances, in our energy, in our emotions, in our relationships, is not just about gaining freedom. It's about keeping freedom. Right? We've all been given freedom when we come to Jesus Christ, but not all of us maintain that freedom, and not all of us exercise uh, the, the freedom that is given to us. If you got your Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 uh, is where I want to read today, and I hope that you'll bring a Bible. In fact, let me just tell you something that, that happens. When I'm standing up here, I see you. I don't know if you knew that or not, but I, actually, I see you. Uh, just like you see me. And when I say open your Bible and you don't have a Bible, you didn't bring a Bible, you don't even interested in the Bible, I, I, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying to you, that's what we do here. I am so dumb, I got nothing to say to you but the Bible. And I am so smart, I got nothing to say to you but the Bible. And so I just want to encourage you, bring it along with you, okay? We're, we're going to use it. And, and I just want you to mark it up. I have I, found in my life, that a tattered Bible is a sign of a life that's not. And, and, and if you will dive into the Word of God, it will change your life. And I just want, I want that for you, okay? And so uh, Galatians chapter 5. By the way, Galatia is, is the church at Galatia. It is the church that Paul is writing to in Galatians. And, and Galatia is in modern-day Turkey, which is where we're going on this trip at the end of May. And, and I'm working hard with the travel agent to divert us to actually, it's not one of the seven churches, but to go see Galatia. And the reason Galatia means so much to us, those of us who are New Testament, and believers it is because the only reason we understand that great hymn, Amazing Grace, is because of the words of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to the church at Galatia. It is Galatians uh, that opens our eyes to the amazing grace of God. And, and I want to uh, just dive into this chapter today, chapter 5 uh, and, and verse 1, and read you a couple of verses as we try to wrap up this series. Christ has truly, say truly, truly set us free. Now make sure that you say it, church. Now, do you, do you understand that this command, make sure you stay free, implies that it's possible as a Christian to not stay free? Do, do you understand the, 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 the nature of what he's saying? Christ set us free. He's only talking to Christians, right? You're not free without Christ. Now make sure you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery. Now listen to me. The work of the cross was final. It set you free. Uh, but what happens is we begin to drift, right? We, we drift back into old habits. We drift back into old routines. We, we, we drift back into old sin. And, and it's because we end up misusing the freedom that God has given us. Now jump down to uh, verse 13, if you would, and let's look at it. For you have been called to live, say live to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Now, let me just give you a tip when you read the scripture. Anytime you come to that, my brothers and sisters, just know this is for the church. He's writing to the church 
at Galatia. He's not writing to lost people. He's not writing to the world. He's not writing to the community at large. He's writing only to those who are in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. This freedom is only for those of us who are in Christ. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Now, this is the NLT. You, you circle that in, in your Bible and mark through it, actually. And write out beside that, uh, sarx, S-A-R-X, okay? S-A-R-X is the Greek word there. Sinful nature is a bad translation. Flesh is a better translation. The reason these, writer, the, uh, the, the, these translators use sinful nature is because they don't want you to misunderstand flesh like this, like skin, like physical flesh, because that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something different flesh. But theologically, it's important for me to point this out because we don't have a sin nature. That's been cut away at salvation. Do you understand? In fact, the Bible uses the word circumcised. The sin nature has been cut away. It is no longer your nature. You now have a new nature. But what you do have, what hung over from the sin nature being cut away is the flesh. And flesh is the learned behavior of the sin nature. And and you need to not live according to the flesh, but you don't need to think that you have a sin nature because if you're in Christ, you don't have a sin nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Serve one another in love. And here's a question you ought to write in the margin of your Bible right here is, how am I using my freedom? How am I using the freedom that he gave me? How am I spending my life? Do do we respect the margins that God sets up and obey his word? Are we actually getting as close to the edge as as we possibly can? Are we living in the spirit or going back to a life of sin? That's a good way to word it. Uh, Are we living in the spirit or going back to a life of sin? Listen to uh, what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. Since we have died, say died, to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Since we've died to sin, how are we going to continue to live in it? What that tells me is there is a choice. Once you've been saved, you have a choice to make. You you can live with margin in your life. You can respect the boundaries of God's Word, the holiness of God, or you can push the envelope and push your life to the edge and push yourself to the limits uh, morally. We, We have a choice every day as believers to not sin. None of us, listen to me, none of us, no matter how long we live, how much we pray, how deep we go in the Bible, will ever be free from temptation. Did did you know that? That's not the plan of God, to make you so mature that, that you've overcome temptation at some point in your life and you'll never be tempted again. The plan is for you to stay close to Jesus, abide with him all the days of your life till he takes you home to heaven, uh, that, that you can overcome the temptations that come. You say, well, I, I hope that's not true. Ask older people in your life, at what point temptation ended for them? We're never going to be free from temptation. And by the way, it doesn't matter what the temptation is. He, he puts them all in the same kinds of lists right? We, we bow before the Lord regardless of what the temptation happens to be. The freedom we have, listen, is from the slavery to sin. That's what we have. We also have the prize of no longer being condemned by the choices we once made. But we do have a choice to keep repeating those choices. And Ephesians 2, he, uh, Paul says, you used to live like that. Why would you go back to that? You used to live like that. Why would you go uh, back to that? Look, look at the next verse, Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? 
right? You've seen me do this little illustration before. This is the top of the water. And this is you in the water. What, what does that look like? It's a picture of the cross, right? And, and when you go under that water, it's a picture of Jesus dying on that cross and being buried in that grave. A death, a real death. But it's not only a picture of Jesus dying, it's a picture of you dying to yourself and, and, and trusting Christ. Now watch what he goes on to say. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. In other words, when you come out of that water, it's, it's a picture of Jesus coming out of that grave and being resurrected, which is why he can save people. A dead man can't save anybody, right? But he beat death, hell, and the grave, and he's alive today. But when you come out of the water, it's a picture of him coming to live inside of you because you died yourself and made him the Lord of your life. Now, one of the telltale signs, I told you, uh, of revival is uh, wanting to hear the Word of God. Another one is instant obedience to the Lord. When he speaks, we, we obey. We cannot say to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are supreme king over my life, and I know that that's what you want me to do. No. Can't say that. That quenches the spirit. We, we can't say to the Lord, hey, I know this is the step you're calling me to take later. Quench. And revival happens when we walk in instant obedience to the, to the leading of the Holy Spirit in and on our lives. And when it comes to this issue of, of baptism, for whatever reason, people balk at this all the time. And I just want to give you a chance today to obey instantly. Would you bow your heads at every campus and close your eyes and open your hearts? And let, let, let me just ask the question across all of our campuses today. If you're here today, you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. He's forgiven you. He lives within you. But you have not, since that time that you gave your life to Christ, follow the Lord in believer's baptism. If that's you, would you just raise your hand at every single campus and say, Pastor, that's me. Just, just raise your hand. That's me. At every single campus, the campus pastors, come stand on the stage if you would. J just raise your hand. I I've trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but I'm not following through with believer's baptism for whatever reason. Just raise your hand. At Midtown, raise your hand so that uh, Pastor Jameson can see your hand. At Downtown, so Pastor Josiah can see it. At Jinx, so that Pastor Jake can see it. At South Tulsa, so Pastor Keith can see it. At uh, Owasso, so Pastor Wes can see it. Here in the chapel, J just raise your hand. And here's what I want to do. I, I want to pray for you at every campus. And so if you just leave your hand up to say, hey, he's praying for me, God. J just leave your hand way up in the air so that we can see it, so that your pastor can see it. Father, I pray for every hand across our campuses today that they would instantly obey you today. I pray they would take one minor step of obedience and just trusting you today. And when they do, I pray the Spirit would flow through them alive and fresh and anew. And I pray their obedience would preach the gospel to the rest of us without even saying a word. All of us have some step of obedience we're supposed to take with you, whether it's baptism or something else. Make us obedient, instantly obedient to what you say. Now, before we look up and before we say amen, if your hand just went up at all of our campuses to say baptism is the step I need to take, would you just stand to your feet? Just stand to your feet and say, that's my step. I, I, I need to take that step. For whatever reason, I haven't yet, but, but I need to. At every campus, just, just stand to your feet. Just stand to your feet. 
You stand to your feet if that's you. And if you're standing, here, here's what I want you to do. You look at me and look up at your campus pastor. The rest of you, you're still praying. If you're standing, I, I just want to get a pastor with you to talk to you, okay? And just pray with you and help you. And maybe even today help you follow the Lord in, in baptism or at least set an appointment for us to do that with you, okay? And so if you're standing, would you just come meet one of our pastors right here at, at the front of the room? I'm not seeing a pastor there. John, would you come and help me here? Uh, just, just come stand right here. Just just step out. Just say excuse me. Just grab your Bible. Grab your purse. Grab your friend that brought you. And, and, and just come on. Let's just... Let's just be, be characterized by someone who just wants to obey. At every campus, just come and, 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 and make your way. They're still coming. You don't need to look up, but you just thank the Lord. Now, Lord, we, we thank you for what we're getting to watch in this season and in this day and time. And again, all of us have steps. Show us what they are and give us instant obedience to the Spirit of God in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, church, listen, we live new lives is what I'm trying to tell you. We're not just living another life. We, 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 we didn't slap a new name on an old way of living. It's not a new thing that we're adding to our lives. It is a completely new Life, a complete change of life. It's a clean slate with, with, with clear margins. And God is telling us that when we go past those margins in life, we're actually putting ourselves in danger. And He loves us so much, He doesn't want us to live there. And when it comes to our moral life, moral margin gives us freedom. When, when, when we go over the limit morally, we're not free. One of the things that I stood there uh, just praying with one student after another student after another student after another student last Tuesday in that chapel service that went all day long. The theme, the theme that happened over and over and over, and most of them were students called to worship ministry, youth ministry, or pastoral ministry. The overarching theme was they were trapped in some sort of sexual immorality. And so today I want to talk about this subject of moral margin, because when you go over the limit morally, you're not free. You're actually, as Paul said, becoming a slave to sin again. But when we live within his margins that his word so wisely sets, then we are, in grant, we are granted the incredible freedoms of life. Let's be honest. All of us have seen people who got real close to the fire and, and not get burned, right? All of us have seen that over and over. We, we see people run across the hot coals of sin without any apparent consequence. But the truth is, is that all of us have seen at least one, probably more, uh, people who got real close to fire and did get burned. And, and the question is, what will we learn from that? Are, are we going to look at that and, and go, uh, is that a sign for me to step away from this? Or do we go, no, 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 I think I am going to get as close to the edge as I can and, and see if I can do this without getting burned. And so today I want to talk about one area of moral margin, sexual morality. It is a hot topic. It was a hot topic five years ago. It was a hot topic 15 years ago. It was a hot topic 50 years ago. It was a hot topic 500 years ago. And most of us who were raised in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s coming through youth groups in those uh, days remember something called the True Love Waits movement. 
And I'm reading people, uh, bloggers today, and people who are deconstructing uh, Christianity, deconstructing what they call the, the purity movement, and uh, backlash is coming from, from that movement. And here's what they're saying. They're saying that movement was built on guilt and on shame. And as someone who lived through that, quite honestly, I didn't just live through it, I pastored through it, I would say yes and no to to some of that backlash. Some of us taught that sex is a God-given, beautiful, mutually satisfying thing that is to be experienced within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. And and, and he has uh, that teaching. Now, there were other youth pastors who who taught uh, that sex is a dirty, ugly, nasty, gross thing that you save for the one you're going to spend the rest of your life with. <laughs> and if you don't save that dirty, gross, nasty thing, it will result in things like STDs and unwanted pregnancies. And, and some did teach that. And, and listen to me, those weren't punishments dished out by God because you broke his law. Those were consequences. Those were natural consequences of going past the limits, and that's what God is trying to teach us. And, and the culture and this world wants us to run uh, and race past the barriers and past the limits. The world not only wants it, it encourages it and is making a fortune off of it. But what happens when, when we, a person uh, pushes the limits sexually in real life? Listen, think about the girl and the guy that are on the date, okay? And both of them have limits about where they will go uh, in a purity limit, okay? And where they'll go physically. One of their limits is way up here and one of their limits is way down here. And one of them is more willing uh, to go further and further on a date than the other one is willing to go. And when that person whose limits are lower than than the other person uh, keeps pushing their own limits, it means they're pushing the other person to do something they don't want to do. And one of the positive things, maybe the only one I can think of, maybe there are others, but I can only think of one right now. The only positive thing that I can think of that has come out of the modern sex culture is the rise in the importance of mutual consent. But you got to hear me today. Mutual consent is not enough. Even the Washington Post, I was reading an article two weeks ago in the Washington Post where the author was talking. And by the way, they're not a conservative bastion of theology, the Washington Post. The author of this particular article was saying that consent is not enough. Why? The conclusion was is because every day people consent to things that they are eventually hurt and wounded by. And God says, I want you to have moral margin. I want you to live here in the middle of the page where all this freedom is, this wide open space. I don't want you to live out here on the edge because on the edge, there is no room for error and it can cost you maybe for the rest of your life. Now, God is calling you back away from the edge. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at what he says, run uh, from sexual sin. Everybody say run. 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 Now in your Bible, here's what I want you to write next to this run. Uh, fugo. That's the Greek word, fugo, run, fugo. It's fun to say, actually. Say fugo. Fugo. Fugo does not mean flirt with. It doesn't mean get as close as you can. It means run like something really bad is chasing you. As soon as you see anything in the realm of sexual immorality, flee from it. This is so interesting when you look at the Word of God, because there's another passage that we taught in the Spiritual Warfare series that says, uh, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. Yet here, 
Paul says when it comes to sexual immorality, we are to flee. Don't you think it's crazy that the New Testament is teaching that if the devil comes knocking on your door, you're supposed to resist him? But if sexual immorality comes knocking on your door, you're supposed to run out the back door? I think that's very, very, very interesting. And I think what Paul is trying to say is you can't beat it. you got to flee it. Why? Because God knows what you know. If there's no margin for error, the consequences can be devastating. And again, the culture is going, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I love you too much. I want you to run. I want you to flee. I want you to create as much margin as possible. You will never regret staying as far away from those limits as possible. Nobody has ever been in any of our pastoral offices and said all of my problems were created when I established moral margin. Nobody, not one time have they ever said, when I pulled back, I regret being so careful sexually. Everyone who lives with regret, it comes down to them passing the limit and passing the line. And life sets you up. Living on the edge sets you up for moral disaster. And look, I I, I know to some of you, this sounds like I'm the old, out-of-touch pastor. And I know that everybody you work with says it's okay. And I know that everybody you go to school with says, this is fine, but you just have to hear me. It's harder to fall off the edge if you're nowhere near it. Living on the edge can set you up for moral disaster. You need moral margin. And creating moral margin, it's not just for sexual sin, right? When you have margin in your life, it protects you from all kinds of sins, right? You can enjoy all kinds of freedom. When you set boundaries about how much you will drink or how honest you'll be at work or how you're going to treat your neighbor, right? You set up margin and it sets you up for success and freedom and life. And and the next verse is so incredibly fascinating and somewhat intuitive, but I think you like me are going to wish you had more information. But but let's look at what he says. Look at what he says in, in the next verse. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. In other words, sexual sin is in a category all of its own. Not in that it's unforgivable, that's not what he's saying, but in consequence. It's in a group all by itself. And the consequence runs so deep that you actually sin against yourselves. Now look at what he goes on to say. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And and, and quite honestly, the context here could actually, write this in your Bible, could indicate that this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That you've sinned against your own body, not just your own body, but the temple of the Holy Spirit. Look look at what he says. Or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. Listen, that one line could solve almost every issue in our culture. You do not belong to yourself. Again, it doesn't matter what the sin is and what the temptation is. We don't belong to ourselves. By the way, these lists list all kinds of things like greed and honoring your parents and homosexuality and all of those things, all on the same list. 
What we want to do is point one out and say that temptation is worse than that one, is worse than that one, and that one's despicable, and, and, and et cetera. It doesn't matter what the temptation is when you understand you do not belong to yourself. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. What is he talking about? What he's talking about is the significance of sexual sin is greater. It carries a scar. It carries an attitude. It carries a view of life that, if you are not careful, will distort all of life for all of your life. And ignoring this principle has brought on generational sin that has put us in this position culturally. I personally believe the euphoria sought in the 60s and the 70s created a snowball that is now an avalanche in our culture. And yet Paul knows this is not new. It's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. Ephesus and Corinth and Rome, right? Paul is writing to all of these churches and all of these towns. They were all dealing with this. At one point, Paul had to write to a man in the church who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. At another point, he was writing to people in the church who were going to the temple to sleep with prostitutes at the temple. And every once in a while, somebody will say to me, I wish we could just get back to being a New Testament church. Let's just do home church. I'm like, is that what you want? And, and listen, he's, he's saying this thing runs deeper than you think. We, we think it's really shallow, way up here on the surface, that it's just him and her, and, 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 you know, they're together for three weeks, and so whatever they do is fine, not hurting anyone. But then they break up, and there's all this horrible brokenness, and they're haunted by memories of lines that were crossed, and, and all other sin, according to Paul, is outside the body. This one is against your own body. So, so uh, first, let me just talk to all the singles, okay? All ages in, in the room. We're so glad you're here, by the way. You need to pre-decide how far you will go. That, that's my advice to you. If you're single of all ages, you need to pre-decide how far you will go. You have limits. You will have limits. And the question is, where will they be? And you are more likely to stay within your limits if you establish them before they're tested. Okay, that's a fact. This is so important. The limit you set, look, over here is sexual immorality. The limit you set needs to be so far away from sex and sexual immorality that if you ever do mess up a little bit, you did cross over that limit, the consequences are minor. The consequences are temporary. Put it so far back that one hot Friday night, you go a little bit too far, you end up with a little bit of guilt, a bad memory that will go away, maybe even a bad relationship, but no scars. No extra baggage to carry around. Set the limit at the very edge, and one little mistake piles on guilt and scars and complications. Listen, you've got to make a promise to predecide how far that you will go. Look, look at this passage in Song of Solomon. Promise me not to awaken love until the time is right. But, but let's be honest, m- many of you have made some mistakes. And maybe at, at every level you've dodged, apparently, the consequences. I have this conversation with students all the time. But let me ask you an honest and a serious question. Has sex before or outside of marriage made your life better or more complicated? Sex outside of marriage complicates your life. Why? Because it was designed for marriage. Using a dishwasher to wash your clothes is complicated. 
because it was not designed for that. Now, here's the truth about that example. You can do it. You can wash your clothes in your dishwasher, but is it complicated? Yes. Is there a better way? Yes. When we have sex the way it was designed within the confines of marriage, it maximizes the enjoyability of it. When we go past those limits, it gets very complicated. Listen, listen to me, I, and I know this is not popular in this day and age, but what we have done is separated sex from marriage and called it cohabitation. We, we, we have separated sex from commitment and called it a hookup culture. We have separated sex from another person with the rise of pornography. We have separated sex from our own bodies and called it a trans movement. L- listen to me, what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. Let there be, say it church, no. no. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed among you. Again, all these things are in the list. Such sins have no place among God's people. Why? Because of your reputation? No. Because of the consequences. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. How do we live as people of the light? By increasing the margin. By building a hedge around our sexuality and staying inside that. By leaning into God's blessings according to His timing and His standard and His way. And so that's for the singles. For the rest of you who are married, let me just show you how God lays this out. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. Giving honor to marriage is the same thing as remaining faithful. If you want to honor your spouse, stay faithful. And that does not mean just in bed. Being faithful does not mean just don't sleep with someone else. Remember what Jesus said? You've heard it said don't sleep around. I'm saying don't even think about it. Faithfulness between spouses begins here in in your thought life. It starts with the fantasies you have that involve straying. And you you think, hey, 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 I'm just thinking it. I'm not doing it again. You think you can skate that, that near the edge without falling over? Let me just say to you, it gets slippery. It gets really slippery. And if I could just give to the married couples in, in the church today a word of advice on this, it would be be open and honest with your spouse sexually. Talk about when you want to have sex, how you want to have sex. Explain your limits and your margins, what you want to do, what you're not comfortable with, and then respect the boundaries of each other. But never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, ever shut the conversation down. Never. Listen to what Paul says in in chapter 7. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. The wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. Years and years ago, a couple in my community group, their little nine-year-old daughter wanted to give her parents something for their anniversary, and so she went to a Bible dictionary and looked up a verse on marriage and came to this one, and she hand-wrote it out. and framed it. And it was a translation that, that said conjugal needs and et cetera. She didn't know what any of the words are, but she gave it to him. And, and we sell those in our bookstores today. You say, what, what, what is the point of this? The, the, the point of this and the point of moral margin is not cut out the fun. That's not the point. God's point is to set you free 
If you are free in Christ, you are free to enjoy each other. But when you push those margins, you get further and further away from the intimacy that you are meant to share with one another. What what the devil will do when it comes to sex and morality, listen to me, is when you're single, he will do everything within his power to get you in that bed. And when you are married, he will do everything within his power to keep you out of that bed. And there are dozens of reasons that married people are unfulfilled sexually, but I personally believe there's a spirit behind it, a spirit that hates marriage. And that spirit knows something that most of us don't know, that there is an obvious relationship between psychological health and moral decisions. Listen to me, poor moral decisions don't make you crazy, but they do impact how you view life. And not only that, moral decisions impact all of a person's relationships. And many times it can take years and years and years to overcome the consequences. Sexual sin, according to Paul, can act like a wound or a bruise on your very soul, not just your body. And when it comes to sexual sins, listen to me, the pain, the wound, the consequences go deeper. So your heavenly father says what you would expect him to say if he loves you. Don't flirt with it. You don't understand the consequences. And again, culture sets the limit at the edge of disaster and will bait you and will tempt you. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And then try to get you to make a complete stop just before you run off the edge into disaster. This week in a youth meeting, some of our youth pastors were telling me things that some of our teenagers have confessed to them. And one of them told me about a principal in one of our schools talking about all of the students, male and female, that, that come in to see a counselor, that come in to see the principals, and they're terrified. And, and, and when they get to the bottom line of what's happening, the terror is in their lives at 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 25, 45 years old because they got baited by a message on social media. And in that conversation, they got baited into looking at naked pictures of the person who is supposedly on the other line, baited into sending a naked picture of themselves. And the moment they sent the naked picture of themselves, the whole table turned and said, send me $50 or I'm going to send this to your mama. Send me $100, I'm going to send this to your daddy. Send me $500, I'm going to send this to your sister. And, and students are entering the principal's office believing that what the person on the other side of that line told them, if you don't send me the money, I will send the cartel after you. And you say, how on earth could a 16 or a 17 or a 19-year-old young man or young woman believe that? Believe that the cartel is going to come after them if they don't send the money to them right away. Because they're in the middle of sin. It takes away all reasoning. It takes away all uh, sound mind. And the very one who is baiting our kids and baiting our culture to come across the line, the moment they step over that line, they start beating them. And that's the one-two punch that the enemy throws at you, child of God. Come on, come on, come on. And the moment you cross, it starts beating you with guilt and condemnation and shame. And there's something so troubling about our culture that so many people, even within the church, are falling into finding their adventure in video games and their romance in pornography. And, and can I just say to you, this is not a male problem. 
This is a female problem too. And all of the stats have said it is now equal between males and females. And for a long time, what the devil would do in the female world is to let, let the boys in the youth group or in the college group or whatever say, I struggle with porn. And it's almost some sort of a badge on, on them to be vulnerable. But the girls feel like a freak because they think they're the only one. It is equal problem among men and women today. And it is, no, by, it is by no means a sexual standard of morality, a, a biblical standard of sexuality or morality. God says you got to flee. Run. And yes, it'll look strange. And yes, at moments it will feel extreme and it will feel foolish. And yes, there will be moments where there are some things you just can't explain. But in order to have moral margin, you have to quit flirting. And you got to flee. John 10 says the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Only. Only. He doesn't come to play with you. He comes to steal from you. He comes to kill you, and he comes to destroy you. But Jesus said, I've come for one reason, to give you life and to give you abundant life. Listen, his life is not absent of sexual fulfillment. It's full of enjoyment and full of blessings and full of happiness. Listen, sin, there must be some level of fun to sin or we would never be tempted, right? There's some level of fun to it, but it's not fulfilling. And some of you have been chasing fun with, with no fulfillment in it that you're convinced that all fun is never fulfilling. You you think all of life is one chase after another after another, and and, and you think all of life is never satisfying, and God says, come on back over here. Stop chasing, stop running, and instead, come to me. Humble yourself, repent, and I will give you life. I will give you abundant life. You, you, You need to run from sin, absolutely, but don't make no mistake about it. God is not saying run out the back door and across the field forevermore uh, from sexual immorality. He's saying run out the back door and run to me. Run to your heavenly father. And and what I want to do today is end this series with the very same verse we started the series with. And if we could, in honor of the reading of the word of God at every campus, would you please stand? Let's read it together at every campus, if we can. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Isn't that what we're after? He will give it. pray together across all of our camps. Before I start praying, can I, can I just, just with your heads bowed, I just want to address, as I've been praying about revival and restoration and awakening, and I, I think some people are using the words revival and awakening as synonyms. 
but they're not synonyms. Awakening is in our culture to who God is. You say, what are you praying for in awakening? Look, I'm praying for what's happening on Christian college campuses to happen on our state campuses. That's awakening. In fact, I told the Lord this week, Lord, if you want me to, I'll pay for the worship leaders to go to OU, to go to TU, to go to OSU, to go to any of the state schools. Whatever you want to do, Lord, I want to see what's happening in these Christian schools happen on these state schools. Why? Because that's when it crosses over from revival to awakening. Awakening is out there in the culture. Revival is in here for the people of God. And, you see, and sometimes we super spiritualize it to the point people don't even understand what we're talking about. We couldn't get 10 pastors together to, to agree on what the definition of revival is, but the, the word I use is just restore. It's restoration. I got a couple of friends that are into really old cars and they love them and they pay a lot of money for them and they spend a lot of time and a lot of energy on them but sometimes you see old cars driving down the road and they're just rust buckets but sometimes you see old cars driving down the road and they have been restored to showroom quality just like when they drove off the showroom that's what I'm talking about is for the Holy Spirit to come fill you to the degree He's restoring you on a day-by-day basis. People see you six weeks from now. You've been restored every day for the last six weeks, and now they're like, I don't even know you. I don't even recognize you. What has God done in you? You look better than you did 10 years ago. Why? He's restoring you. And that's the privilege we have as the children of God, to be restored over and over and over again for Him to make us like new. But we got to run to Him. To let him restore us. So how are you going to end the series? Here's how I want to end it. I want to open the altars at every campus. For a moment of repentance, for a moment of prayer, for a moment of confession, for a moment of worship, for a moment of praise. Some of you need to come and and you need to tell God you've set the boundaries in the wrong spot. And you need to get back within his boundaries others of you need to come and repent over something others of you need to come and pray for a kid or a grandkid that the enemy is baiting and luring in that that, that there's no indication by what i'm opening the altars up for that there's any shame on you for coming to this altar today it's open to all the children of god to come and worship the king of kings to come and bow before him to come and to pray for your own life to come and to pray for your own family to come and pray for your own church to come and pray for your own culture that he would revive us so at every campus the musicians are just going to play softly the altars are going to be open the church is going to come and pray let's move together church at every campus this morning let's come let's pray together